0: So Luke 8, 22 through 25, really bad storms are never fun. I remember a particular storm here in Colorado, and it was the spring of 2005. And I did a wedding on a Saturday morning and drove up to our men's retreat on Saturday afternoon to do the evening session Saturday night. And my buddy was in town from Idaho. His name was Brent Bowden. We were roommates in the school ministry. He he came out for our friend's wedding, Joe Sasser. And Saturday was beautiful. I mean, it was in the 60s, it was sunny, the wedding was in Woodland Park. It was just that spring weather in the Rocky Mountains. Then Sunday morning hit and a blizzard came in. And we had to drive down from Winter Park back to Colorado Springs. And it was one of those storms where it was just dumping, dumping, dumping snow. And at the time, I was driving a 1990 Honda Civic. We owned a 1992 Honda Accord and a 1990 Honda Civic. And that Honda Civic sat so low to the ground. I mean, it was just just so low to, to the ground and it was a stick shift which should be helpful for driving in the snow, unless you're Eric Cartier, who stinks at driving stick, right? So my friend Brent and I were like, we can do this and we'll get down the mountain and we're driving and the more we drive, it's just snowing and snowing and snowing. And by the time we're coming down I-70, getting back back into Denver, I've already taken the Honda Civic off of the road twice, you know, slid into the snow and somehow gotten it out of, of the snow. By the time we get to Castle Rock, it is still just dumping snow. It's just pouring down snow. And surprisingly, the freeway was closed from Castle Rock to Colorado Springs. You'd think it'd be closed up on I-70, but nope, it was closed from Castle Rock to Colorado Springs. So I just had to leave the Civic in the parking lot up in, in Castle Rock. Another guy from the church had a Honda Odyssey minivan, and he's like, my minivan does pretty good in the snow. I think that we can make it home on side roads, let's try it, right? And he's like, okay, that sounds good, <laughs> right? So <laughs> we get in his minivan, go on you know, back roads, Highway 83 and, and stuff, and, and we make it, make it home. And we literally had to just let the snow melt for a couple of days before we could get to Castle Rock, get my car back, and I'll always remember that, that storm. And every once in a while here in, in Colorado, they're actually right. You know, the weathermen are actually right, and the snow actually does, does come down. The disciples find themselves on a really bad storm in the Sea of Galilee, but God's in the midst of the storm. God is teaching them some really important lessons that I suggest to you they couldn't learn any other way without going through the storm. So this is verse 22. Now, it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake and they launched out. If you're taking notes, write down that storms require remembrance. Storms require remembrance. Everything looks good at this point, at this juncture, but as they get out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, there is gonna be this tremendous storm that comes. The wind comes. In the middle of the storm, they have to remember the words of Jesus, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Jesus said, we're going to get over to the other side of the lake. And you know this section of scripture now from Sean teaching through it, what's on the other side of the lake? A demoniac, someone who desperately needs the love of Jesus Christ and delivering out of darkness. Jesus knows what he's doing of going to the other side of the lake. We've been given a promise by God that we're going to make it to the other side of the lake. It's called heaven. That's the promise that God has given to us. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the promise of God. You are going to make it. Why? Because you're God's work. Romans tells us that we are glorified. Past tense. Past tense. God already sees the finished product. And he's like, you knuckleheads at Rocky Mountain Calvary, you are gonna make it. You're gonna make it to heaven and you're going to be glorified. But we've gotta remember that as we're in the midst of the storm because it feels like we're not gonna make it. It feels like that this life is all that there is. What is more real is heaven than this life. This life feels so incredibly real, and it is, but the reality of heaven The reality of forever being with the Lord is even more real than this experience. This life is going to pass away. This life is going to burn up. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life, it's all going to pass away. But he who does the will of God is going to abide forever, to to live forever in the presence of God. That's where we're headed. You're going to make it to the other side. (laughs) You are going to make it to the other side as a believer. And in fact, you personally are closer to heaven than you've ever been before. How do we know that? Because you're older than you've ever been before. You're closer to the second coming of Jesus than any other Christians who've lived before you. Think about that. That's some deep theology right there, right? Because we're the current believers, right? We're the current believers. And so, We're the closest to the rapture of the church, but this is the absolute promise of God that we're going to make it to the other side. Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over to the other side, but they're going to be tested on that. In verse 23, but as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Second point is Storms don't threaten Jesus. Think that through. Storms don't threaten Jesus. How so? He's asleep in the storm. He's not nervous about the storm. He's not stressed out about the storm. He has enough confidence in the Father to say, this is a great time for a nap, right out here on the Sea of Galilee in this this storm. Mark's gospel tells us that, that Jesus was sleeping so soundly that they had difficulty waking him up in this storm. That they have to go to Jesus and say, Master, Master, we're perishing. It's such a bad storm that water is coming in over the side of the boat, and Jesus is still asleep, right? I think this does show us also the reality of Christ's humanity and how hard he worked. We read the gospels of all of these crowds pressing in upon him and him teaching and him healing and the disciples having questions and, and messing up. It was physically exhausting. And he's in a, a human body, God in human flesh. And in his humanity, he needed a nap. In his humanity, he, he needed to, to sleep. When was the last time you had a nap? I had a nap this week. It was glorious. Just, it just hit me. I didn't even tell anybody in the family. It was just dad disappeared. And I could, I could hear him telling her, where's dad? And I was asleep, right? I was just in bed taking a nap. And Jesus was tired. He understands that. And he's like, I'm going to take a nap. So whatever's going on in your life, as we process the midterm elections, as we look at the condition of our country, I want you to understand whatever the storm is, no matter how big it is from our perspective, it does not threaten Jesus. He is on the throne. Every time you see Jesus depicted after his resurrection and ascension, he's always seated on the throne. The only exception is when Stephen was martyred, we see Jesus standing to welcome Stephen in, into heaven. But the reason that Christ is seated next to the Father is because it's a position of rest. Jesus is not up in heaven going, oh man, these midterm elections don't look so good. Man, what's going on with Colorado? Pacing back and forth and what, what, what am I going to do? No, he's upon the throne. He, he, he doesn't look at your medical bills and go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. He, he doesn't look at the relational difficulty that you're going through and going, oh, I'm stressed out. I've got anxiety over this. There's no storm that threatens Jesus. There's no storm that even comes close to removing him from his place of power, his position. The third thing that we see about storms is that storms exist in the middle of God's will. Storms exist in the middle of God's will, number three. The disciples are right where God wants them to be. They're following Jesus, and Jesus says, We're crossing over the Sea of Galilee and this is exactly where God wants them to be and there happens to be a really bad storm that threatens their life. Oftentimes we think if things are difficult, I must be outside of God's will. Not necessarily the case. There are times where we're bringing on consequences for our own sin and that's a whole other story. But there will be those times in our lives where We're doing what God asks us to do, we're inside of his will, and in the midst of that, God places us in a storm. He wants us to learn something that we couldn't learn any other way. And he's teaching us. Now, I don't necessarily always like that that's the case, but then when you get on the other side of the storm and you know Jesus in a greater way, aren't you thankful for it? Because you know the God of the storm. You experienced Jesus in a tangible, real, practical, powerful way. So don't assume that because you're in a storm, you're not in God's will. Daniel was placed in a lion's den right in the midst of God's will. They told him he couldn't pray. The government government mandated that he couldn't pray. And he said, no, I'm going to continue to pray I'm going to continue to pray with my windows open three times a day, as I've done for years. He knew the consequence, gets thrown into the lion's den, right in the midst of the will of God, and God showed himself faithful. We don't have a promise from the Lord of how the storms are going to turn out, but please understand that a loving God, in his infinite wisdom, for his purposes in our lives and others, he will allow us to go through storms. So, you can be in a storm and be in the midst of God's will. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Number four is ch- storms can change our perspective. If you turn with me over to Mark chapter four, because in Mark we see a, a parallel text. Mark writes of the same event. And in Mark, Chapter four. Let's pick up in verse thirty-six. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also were with him. So they're not the only ones in the storm, which is good for us to remember. Others are going through the storm as well. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the house, into the boat. So. That it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So storms can change our perspective. When they go to wake Jesus up, it's not just, Master, Master, we are perishing, but it's, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The fact that Jesus was sleeping in the storm. Cause them to question, does Jesus really care for me? If Jesus really cared for me, why would he be sleeping in the storm? And there are times in those difficulties in our lives where it seems, from our perspective, that God is sleeping, that he's apathetic, that he's not doing anything. And if we're not careful, just like the disciples, we can come to the conclusion that God doesn't care. Do you care That we're perishing? Do you care that that we're dying? Because what do we know about God? We know that He cares. We know that He is love. God God is love. And He's proven His love in many ways. But the greatest way He's proven His love is by giving Jesus to die on the cross for for our sins. So if that's where you're at tonight and you're in that place of, of going through a storm, and maybe you've been going through a storm for a while. And you go, is it starting to change my perspective about Jesus? Have I started to adopt the wrong idea that maybe Jesus doesn't care for me? And the enemy would love to capitalize on that. Satan's an opportunist, right? So when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through a hard time, Satan's going to be quick to come and say, look, God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really care for you. If he really cared for you, then, then why would you be going through this trial? Why would you be going through this storm and be going through this difficulty? And then you'll probably have some friends that will confirm that. And sometimes even Christian friends will come and and give you the, the wrong message. So in those times when we're not seeing clearly is to go, I've got to hold on to who I know God to be revealed in the scripture, not what my emotions are telling me in the midst of this storm and in the midst of this difficulty. So, so storms really can change our perspective. In verse 24, continuing on, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and they were calm. This would have been pretty cool. I mean, for the disciples to feel like they were perishing, it had to have been a bad storm because a lot of them were fishermen. Peter, James, John, they're, they're fishermen, Andrew, fishermen. They've spent their lives on the Sea of Galilee. And as the wind comes on the Sea of Galilee, this, this giant lake, they're like, "We're done for. This is it. We're, we're dying. We're not going to make it through. And they go wake up Jesus and like, "Do you still love us? Do you still still care for us?" And then Jesus simply spoke, and he rose and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. So to go from an absolute raging storm that's life-threatening to calm. The water is now as still as glass. And God is sovereign over the storm. And as we look at the scriptures, we know there's consequence for our choices, there's consequences for other people's choices. But ultimately, the Lord is in charge. The E4 students, Armc's uh, Gap Year program, we're going through the book of Genesis, and we're studying the life of Joseph right now. And I think the life of Joseph really illustrates how God is sovereign in the storm. Because it's really clear that there's a lot of sin in the equation. It kind of starts with Jacob, Joseph's dad. Jacob has a relationship with four women. Never a good idea, right? If you're thinking about polygamy, just read the book of Genesis. It doesn't turn out very well. He marries sisters and their handmaidens and has all of these boys. And of course, he loves Rachel the most. And Joseph at the time is the only son of of Rachel. So it starts with, with Jacob. And then Joseph doesn't show a lot of maturity because God gives him a dream of his brothers bowing down to him. I don't think that the Lord wanted Joseph to share that with his brothers, but he's like, guys, check this out. Like, God spoke to me last night and I had this dream and you suckers were bowing down to me. And that just made them hate Joseph all the more because he's got this coat of many colors. The rest of them don't have this colorful coat. Only Joseph has the colorful coat. God gives him another dream, this time of mom and dad also bowing down To Joseph, and he shares that with the whole family. Another sign of immaturity—he's 17 years old—and now the brothers hate him even more. Ultimately, they are filled with so much hate that they decide, "Well, let's kill him." Then they're like, "No, there's no money in killing him, but if we sell him as a slave, at least we'll profit some for it, and we don't have to get all bloody." So they sell him as a slave to to Egypt. But God's sovereign; God's in the storm. God's ultimately in control. The brothers are not in control. God's working this plan. He shows up at Potiphar's house. He's a slave to Potiphar. God's with him. He's faithful. His character really shines. Potiphar's wife, the the boss's wife, accuses him of rape. He's thrown into prison. So now he's been the subject of his brother's sin, Potiphar's wife's sin, his dad's sin, but God's in control. Not the sin that's being committed against him. God is is sovereign. God's ruling over the storm. Here comes the butler and the baker. Sounds like a fairy tale, but Pharaoh's butler and baker end up in prison. They both have a dream. Joseph interprets the dream. The butler returns to duty. The baker is executed. The butler forgets about Joseph for two years till Pharaoh has a dream like, I know this guy that can interpret dreams, and here comes Joseph to interpret the dream, ends up being second in command to Pharaoh of all of Egypt. There's a famine, but Joseph had saved, and here comes his brothers in need of food. And what Joseph's able to say at the end of his life, at the end of Genesis, after his dad's dead, his brothers are freaking out that Joseph's going to be angry at him. He says, what you meant for evil God meant for good, for the saving of many lives. Joseph experienced God in the storm and God being sovereign. I know that this is a simplistic view, but if God reigns over the storm, he does have the power for the difficulty to stop if he wants to. So, so in my life, in your life, he could say, okay, the storm is done. And sometimes that happens. And all of a sudden that the trial is ended, and he can do it. But if he chooses not to do that, then that means, for his purposes, he's working good out of that storm. So that's where I get a lot of comfort. I get, I get a lot of peace in my heart, and my life, of going, God, it's not the storm that's in control. It feels like it. You're in control, and if you want the difficulty to stop, it'll stop. But if you want it to continue for your purposes, then I'm at a place of peace because I know that you're working your plan that's a lot bigger than me. We get a little perspective of this in history when we look back at some really difficult times. God did great work, right? Even what has taken place in, in China the last 30, 40 years and how hard they've been on Christians, there's been an explosion of the gospel and many, many people reached. We go, man, only only God can do that. And in some of the most difficult times where the greatest times of spiritual revival. So let's allow the Lord to give us peace to where storms don't change our our perspective. Verse 25 says, back to Luke, but he said to them, where is your faith? The fifth thing about storms is storms expose our faith. Storms expose our faith. If I had a cup up here, you wouldn't necessarily know what's inside. Like, maybe it's coffee. Should have brought a cup up here. Or maybe it's tea. I do drink some tea these days. Just lost some man cards there. But <laughs> as, as soon as you bump the cup, you know what's inside. Oh, yeah, there's coffee inside of there. Oh, yeah, there's, there's tea inside of there. Oh, th- there's, there's water inside of there. Well, what's in my heart? Sometimes I may not fully know. I may, I may think it's trust. I may think it's faith. And then God allows my cup to get bumped a little bit, allows my cup to, to go through the storm, and stuff comes out. And it reveals whether I'm trusting the Lord or not. We see where the disciples' faith is here in the midst of the storm. And sometimes the storm's going to reveal trust in God, and Sometimes it's going to reveal that our faith is weak and we've got some growth to do in the the area of, of trusting the Lord. But a storm will absolutely expose our faith. And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Number six is that storms reveal our savior. And I think that this is the most important lesson about storms. As storms reveal Jesus in a greater way. I want, I want you to think back on your journey with the Lord and how have you gotten to know Jesus in a greater way? It's probably been in some of the most difficult times of your life. And through those experiences, you understand the reality of Christ in a much more tangible way. Things that you've read in the scriptures, things that you've heard taught to you, but they become real to you as you go through trial, as you go through challenge, as you go through difficulty. I remember Greg Laurie, he pastors in Southern California and he was sharing about the loss of his son. His son died in a car accident a few years ago and he said, everything that I believe and I've taught in the scriptures is true. And through that experience of losing his son, it moved him even deeper in his relationship with the Lord. And he said he experienced a, a personal revival. He, he felt a deeper passion for Jesus. He felt a deeper passion for the lost. He, he wanted to proclaim the gospel in, in a greater way. He, he experienced Christ in the midst of this terrible storm of losing your son in a car accident. And who would want to go through that? I don't think anybody would, would ever sign up for that. What's so interesting to me is the disciples are afraid of the storm, but now they're afraid of Jesus in a good way. They're like, who in the world is this that I'm following? I knew Jesus was awesome, but he is way more powerful than I ever realized. He's got power over this storm. I've been reading the the Proverbs in my devotions here in the last few weeks, and it's been striking to me how important the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We really can't grow in understanding without the fear of the Lord. Right here, the disciples got the fear of the Lord. And it's this awe. It's this respect. It's like, whoa, this... This is Jesus. This is God. This is the creator of the universe. Who am I dealing with here? And so they were afraid of the storm, but now they have this respect for Jesus in a deeper way. And I think that in faith, we hold on to this as we're journeying through the storm when that revelation hasn't come yet. Like, okay, I know that God is using this in my life. We have so many promises of scripture That God is using trial to grow us if we'll allow it to. Romans chapter 5 promises that. So we hold on to this. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me in the storm? The last thing about storms this evening is storms prepare us for ministry. How so? What happens in verse 26 is they get off the boat. And I'm thinking they're probably going, this would be a great time to just rejoice. We thought we were going to die. Jesus calmed the storm. Let's have barbecue. Let's have falafel. Let's go to Starbucks, you know, Americano. Just kick back for a little bit and talk about this. And they encounter like the craziest guy in the Bible, the demoniac, right? Guess what? They're ready for the demoniac. Why are they ready for the demoniac? Because they've just seen Jesus calm the storm. And they're like, Jesus has got this guy. This is really scary, but Jesus is greater. The light is greater than than the darkness. They're going through the storm for a purpose because there's somebody on the other side of that storm that needs to be be delivered out of darkness into light with disciples that understand that Jesus can do it. Amen? Amen? And I know that we believe that up here, but we need to experience it. And when we experience God being faithful in the storms, you've noticed this, I've noticed this, is storms take us to a different location oftentimes. Storms take us to hospitals that we never planned to be at, doctor's offices that we never planned to be at, funeral homes that we never planned to be at. All of these different situations that we didn't plan to be at, but the storm took us there the auto mechanic shop that we did not plan to be at, right? That's not where I planned to go. It's not how I hope to spend money this, these holidays, but here, there you find yourself at Midas, right? Storms take you to different locations, and if we're aware, a lot of times, the demoniac is waiting, somebody that's lost, somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. Paul would find himself in prison and there in prison was the opportunity to share Christ with people, but there's this understanding of, man, God's the God of the storm, so he's got this. God has prepared me for ministry. God has prepared me because I understand the majesty of who Christ is. The two seem to go hand in hand, and I don't know why, why that, it's always the case, but it seems like a lot of times when there's storms and there's, there's difficulties, there's also... God working, God moving, God revealing Himself, God using us in new ways. We go, okay, Lord, you're you're doing this, this is uncomfortable, but you're meeting me in the midst of of the storm. So why is it timely for us? Because, yes, there's storms in life. And we do know from the scriptures, from Paul's writing to Timothy, that as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, there's going to be perilous times. Like, things are going to get crazy leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to be stormy, but guess what? He is coming. That, that's the good news of, of all of that. And with the promise that Jesus is coming, is then we go, okay, Lord, meet me in the storm. And then also we, we just go through things in our lives personally, don't we? Things can be going really smooth and then all of a sudden, boom, you find yourself in the midst of a difficulty. It's like, man, I I did not see this one coming. And as we're in the middle of the storm to reflect on Jesus with the disciples, Jesus placed the disciples in the storm because he wanted to reveal himself to them in a greater way. So they're prepared to minister to the demoniac. For us to land back At Psalms 46, verse 10, be still and know that he's God and he will be exalted in the nations. We got a few minutes to do that in communion. Remember his faithfulness with his broken body, his shed blood, the bread and the cup. Proclaim his death until he comes. One day, Jesus is gonna rule and reign on this earth and he's not gonna get elected. He's self-appointed. And we're going to see it and we're going to behold it and that's going to be awesome so we occupy till he comes we be faithful till he comes we yes we get involved in the public square and we vote and we do all of those those things we be salt we be light we share the gospel but we look forward to his coming we proclaim his death till till he comes Would, would you be still tonight what's the narrative going on in your heart and your mind maybe things in your life, things in our country, but say, Lord, I'm going to be still. I've done enough of the talking. Let's be still before the Lord and allow him to speak to us. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Hmm. Jesus, thank you that you're the God of the storm. And I know that many are, are going through storms. Some of these storms have, have lasted for a really long time. And they bring them to the end of ourselves. And Jesus, we thank you that you're in the boat with us. That you're resting. That these storms don't threaten you. And we cry out to you for your, for your help in the midst of the storm. That you would reveal yourself. We want to be still. Be still. And know that you're God. I pray that you would speak to all of us tonight here in the sanctuary and online. We want to listen to what you would say to us specifically. And we do pray that you would move. We do pray that you would rescue many out of darkness into light, in Jesus' name, amen.